Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 143. It's October 7th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, I've been on the road and very busy, been away for about a week, so I've fallen behind in my podcasting. However, despite the better behavior that we've seen from the market recently, I stand by the comments I've made in recent episodes. I still think that we're trading in a range. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see this market go down and test the lows that we saw in August. We're going to talk about that briefly in this episode, but the main emphasis of this episode will be to replay the presentation that I recently gave down in Jack Spierko's homestead in Texas, but more about that in a minute. First, let's talk about this market. Yes, the market has been behaving fairly well over the last week. Now, I haven't gotten too excited about that. I haven't put out any blog posts or or done an update to this podcast because, like I just mentioned, I think we're still trading in the same range that I've been talking about. The S&P 500 is vacillating around 1950. That's the points on the S&P 500 that I believe are the new baseline. And because it is vacillating and because the personality for this market for a long time has been just to go sideways, I think that's where we still are. So it wouldn't be unusual for the market to go up 3 or 4% above that baseline or for it to fall down 3 or 4% below that baseline. Now, whenever it makes a little move either way, the media is going to jump on that. The pundits on TV are going to come out, and if it starts going up, they're going to scream that the bottoms have been made and we're going on to a new rally. And the exact opposite will happen when the S&P breaks down below 1950. They'll start screaming, it's another bear market, and we're going to go down and, and drop below the lows in, in uh, August 24th, 25th. Well, no one knows what's going to happen. But it looks to me, because of the personality of this market, it's just going to keep going up and down, up and down, up 2 or 3 4%, down 2 or 3 or 4%. It will consolidate that way until a new trend is established. Now, I have no way of knowing if that trend is going up or if it's going down. My personal opinion, though, is that it looks like we're still in a very weak global market. And if that's the case, it's more likely, in my opinion, to break down than it is to break up. Now, we are right now in the middle of earnings season. So companies are starting to report their third quarter earnings. I'm not going to get into it in this episode. We'll come back um, in a day or so and talk about that. There have been some good news, but there's been a lot of treading of water. There's been a lot of backpedaling. There have been a lot of downward estimates. And there's also been some downright bad news. So again, for all these reasons, this is why I'm holding to what I've been talking about here for the last couple weeks. I stand behind these two most recent podcast episodes, why I thought the market uh, could continue to go down from here. We'll just have to wait and see how this plays out. But the point that I want to stress to you is that we are trading in a range. And so just because the S&P 500 goes up 3 or 4% above 1950, that would be normal for this range. It doesn't mean that we've broken out. It doesn't mean that this market has bottomed out and we're smooth sailing ahead. It only means that we're in that trading range. There is a great deal of resistance on the S&P 500 around 2000. Pull up a chart and look at that. You'll see not only the overhead resistance, but you'll also see that the convergence right at about the 2000 mark is the 50-day average. Now, the S&P 500 did today close at that 50-day moving average. It's got to get above that 50-day moving average and then above that 2,000 level for it to break out and go on to new highs. 
Personally, I think that's doubtful. I think there's a big psychological barrier there. The other thing to consider is to take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the NASDAQ. Now, a lot of the leaders have fallen out of favor or at least are stagnant and treading water over on the NASDAQ. Right now, the NASDAQ is below its 50-day moving average, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is slightly above its 50-day moving average. So where we're seeing the strength in this market is in the Dow Jones. Now, the Dow is the big blue chip stocks. It's generally where you see less risk and more safety. That's not the characteristics of a market going into an uptrend. That's a defensive position, a defensive posturing. Another thing that I'll mention in terms of defensive posturing is, is one of the reasons that we're seeing the Dow Jones performing better right now is because a lot of the oil stocks and the energy sector are improving. I put out a blog post today over at investablewealth.com. I showed a chart of oil and how it's hovering right now just above its 50-day moving average. I think that's a key resistance level. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see oil stumble there and fall back down. There's a great deal of technical as well as fundamental resistance with oil at $50 a barrel. I comment on that over at investablewealth.com at the blog post there. Take a look at that. But because oil has done well over the last week, much of the energy sector has now come up. ExxonMobil is above its 50-day moving average. A lot of the industrial stocks, the commodity stocks, even the emerging market stocks are all doing better based on oil. Now, if oil cannot hold its 50-day moving average and we see oil, instead of breaking out above $50 a barrel, we see it dropping back down to $45 or $43 or $40 a barrel. The energy sector, the emerging markets, the commodities, they will all follow oil further down. I'm skeptical that oil can hold at that level, not only because of the technical resistance, but as I said, it's not favored by fundamentals. There has been no demonstrable improvement in the global economy. And so, although oil production is moving downward because they're shutting down rigs, every time oil goes up just one cent, a new rig comes online, particularly when we're talking about the U.S. shale oil market, because all those wells have been drilled, the pipe is in the ground, and they really just need to turn on a spigot to let that oil flow as soon as those wells are are marginally profitable. I believe that'll keep oil well below $50 a barrel, and unless we see some improvement in this global economy, I don't see how the U.S. or any of the other stock markets can break out. Again, I don't have a crystal ball. That's just my opinion. We'll talk more about that later in the week. Today in this episode, I'd like to play back for you an audio recording of a presentation I gave down at Jack Spearco's homestead. This was at a TSP October event. If you look in the show notes... I have a link that will take you to the slide deck that I used for this presentation, as well as a link that will take you to YouTube, and you can watch the video of me giving this presentation. Now, when I was down at Jack's place, I did do two presentations. Unfortunately, the first one was not videotaped. So in this episode, you're only going to hear the audio of that second presentation, and if you watch the YouTube video, that is, again, only the second presentation. The slide deck, however, is both presentations. The atmosphere at Jack's workshops is always very casual. He has a three-acre homestead. We camp out on his property. We have big bonfires. It's a lot of fun. If you've never been to one, I encourage you to go visit. I had a lot of fun. I got to see a lot of old friends, and I made a lot of new ones. So sit back, relax, enjoy this presentation. 
Welcome back, guys. This is part two to carry over of what we discussed yesterday. If you remember yesterday, we talked about the general wealth building equation. Very simple, right? You have to earn, then you have to save, and then you invest. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I do just want, I t- had an opportunity to talk to you, a lot of you last night. And I you know, just want to clarify on that earn and save thing. Everything's different for everybody, right? So at some phase in your life, you're going to be earning more or less. Generally, as you get older in our society, you make more money. So maybe you're not making as much when you're 20 or 30, but you hit those peak earning years when you're 40 or 50. So, you know, this, this is evolving, right? It's going to change. But what you really want to try and always increase that earning without increasing your lifestyle. That's really the key to getting wealthy. And again, think of the celebrities. Think of the people that win the lottery. They get a big payday, big paycheck, but they spend it all, and so they're broke. Okay, they, they go bankrupt, they, um, they have a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Don't do that, right? Grow your income, but maintain your lifestyle. And I think that really does fit in with the prepper permaculture kind of philosophy anyways. The other thing I'd say is, you know, I, I tease people about owning BMWs or spending more money on a car or something than I would. A couple of you have said, John, you're sleeping out in a van out there. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a man of the people, right? I'm like the Pope. <laughs> I drive a Fiat. No, uh, I just, it's just the way I am, right? You don't have to choose to be like me. You know, I stay in hotels too. And, you know, I don't always use the outhouse. That's, 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 you know, you don't have to deprive yourself. We're not taking a vow of poverty or anything, but that's just my personality. I would rather climb into the bed, my back of my van, because it's my bed, right? I know what it is and it's, it's convenient and it's there for me. And I just have to walk like 15 feet and it's there. I don't want to drive to a hotel or something. Um, so, do what's right for you, okay? And even like if you want to spend 60 grand on a sports car and you can afford it, it's none of my business, right? Go do it. But the key is if you're spending more for the BMW, maybe you got to cut back somewhere else, right? And that's what people don't do. They get in that cycle where they just keep spending and spending. It's like your diet, right? If you want to go out and eat a big piece of chocolate cake, Patrick, wherever you're at, eat a big piece of chocolate cake, well, yeah, you can do that, but you need to cut back somewhere else, right? Don't don't eat so much of something else. Otherwise, you're going to get fat. So with, with spending, you spend too much, you're going to go broke. Bottom line, no get rich quick. It's just the way it is. Okay. So the purpose of today's uh, presentation though, was to focus on the investment side. This is what the industry always wants you to think about. They want you to think you're an investor even when you're not because that's the only way they make money. I want to talk about that today. And then I really want to we're going to talk about investing, but the real thing that I want to point out is appreciating assets. Most people don't get the concept of appreciating assets. And again, that's how that, that immigrant that comes to America that doesn't speak English, that's working real hard, you know, they don't have an MBA. They still become wealthy after 20 years because they, they own appreciating assets. It's the real estate that they bought or it's the business that they started or whatever. You don't, you know, you don't have to be Einstein to figure that stuff out. It just works. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you do that. Uh, the key concepts we want to talk about, again, we're going to, I'm going to keep hammering this. Three simple steps to building wealth, right? Earn, save, invest. We'll talk about that more. We're talking about, I specifically do this for the preppers in the audience about what money is. Money is not wealth. I entitled this section, How to Make the Most of a Worthless Currency, because I think a lot of us in the prepper community, we know that the money's fiat. We know it's worthless. We know the Federal Reserve has designed it so it becomes worthless over time. But that's okay. That doesn't matter. We'll get around it. We'll talk about that. And then, again, we're going to focus on the appreciating assets. So saving versus investing. 
Uh, again, I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I, I do want to hit this one more time. I guess, again, from a prepper point of view, the financial industry wants you to think you're an investor. They want you to think you're Warren Buffett. They hammer you with advertisements about invest in this mutual fund or do this with this trading or take this option. And I just got an email from a guy the other day about, you know, hey, they, I went to this seminar about how to invest in options and then they want to upsell me to like a $10,000 course and I think it's kind of a scam. I'm like, yeah, you think right. I mean, right, if, the, if these guys are such options experts, why are they wasting their time peddling this course to you? Why aren't they out there making a million dollars in the stock market? So the only way people can make money and scam you, though, is if they try and get you to invest. Because if your money is safely in the bank or, you know, buried under your mat, in your mattress or whatever, you're not paying them fees. Okay, so just always keep that in mind. The other thing from a prepper point of view is what I'm talking about here is investing. And, I, and I, some people will get confused when I talk about things. But when I talk about investing, I'm talking about your investment portfolio. You've are, I'm assuming you've already taken care of your preps, right? You have term life insurance. You have water and food storage. You, uh, uh, you know, you're educating and, and teaching yourself new skills. You've taken care of your family, all that kind of stuff, right? Jack talks about owning precious metals for assurance, not right? Not not to get rich quick, not to even preserve your wealth, but as, a, as insurance, assurance, right? And then, of course, we have things like term life insurance. Last year, I spent like $700 on my term life insurance policy. Guess what? I didn't die. I don't consider that $700 a waste, right? So if you go out and buy gold and you happen to buy it at the wrong time or silver or whatever, and it's come down some since you've bought it, well, again, that wasn't a waste. That's your assurance policy, those are different things. That's like an insurance premium to me. So, what, but what I'm talking about today is not any of this stuff. You need to take care of this stuff first, okay? Don't let anybody, you know, con you into believing you, you need to take that thousand dollars and put it in the stock market or something. Take that thousand dollars and make sure you're taking care of your preps. You're more likely. I, I think I mentioned before. My father died when I was six months old. Perfect health. He stood up one day, had an aneurysm, you know, fell over dead. Those things happen, right? The, we're you're more likely to get die in a car accident or have a heart attack or something than the zombie apocalypse. So take care of those things that you know are going to happen or that are likely to happen. Okay, so in, in terms of, uh, I tell people to, to, to save first, right? Don't start investing. And then everybody wants to know, and you're going to ask me, and, I, and I'll, I don't, I, you can ask me the questions, but I say them a thousand times over and over again and people still ask. So it's still like, you know, hey, John, where do I invest $1,000 or what can I do with $10,000? Or what number, what's that number that I should start investing in? And I don't, I don't know that, right? It's one of those depends questions. Depends where you're at. We talked yesterday about uh, your lifestyle. Some people can live very well off of $25,000, right? Other people have to have $150,000. So I don't know what your lifestyle is. I don't know what your goals are and how you want to do it. And I, I can't put an exact number on when you go from being a saver to an investor. You'll have to kind of figure some of that out. I'll give you some hints. But, but there is a, a point in your life when you go from just saving money, which is initially accumulating your money, right, to actually putting your money to work for you. And that's the difference. Saving is where you're just, you're just hoarding it, right? You're, you're bringing it together. You're pulling together your assets. Investing are when your assets are working for you. Okay, they're, they're generating you income. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But here's the bottom line. I have a podcast episode about this. A lot of people, well, no one's ever come up to me and says, John, where can I buy a BMW for $1,000? Where can I get a good BMW for 1000 bucks? I really want this nice red convertible BMW. I only want to pay 1000 bucks for it. Why does nobody ever ask me that? 
It's unrealistic. It's right, unrealistic. You're not going to find a good BMW for $1,000. Guess what? You're not going to find a good investment for $1,000, right? And I'm talking again investments in the stock market. I'm going to talk today in terms of the stock market because that's what I know. That's what I love. It's easy to represent the concepts through that. But this also applies to anything else. Buying a small business, investing in real estate. The concepts are the same, although I'm going to, I'm going to say stocks put in real estate or whatever else you, you're thinking of in terms of an investment. But there are no good, right? You're not going to go out and buy a great rental property for a thousand bucks. I don't believe the late night TV, you know, no money down, invest other people's money. Again, if that, is, if that works so well, why are they spending millions of dollars to advertise that to you, right? Why aren't they out buying rental property? Some people can do it. Some people can flip it. But the average Joe is not going to make a million dollars by taking that investment course, you know, in real estate. So keep that in mind. There are no good investments at, at a small amount because think of your money as a slave, right? If you have, you know, 10 million slaves, you can, you can get a lot of work done. But if you only have a couple slaves, they're not going to be able to do very much for you. And you still got to feed them and take care of them. So that's where your money is. Your money is these little slaves that goes out and work for you. If you only have $1,000, you've heard Jack talk about this principle before. If you only have $1,000 and you can get a 10% return on that money, which is a very good return. Again, the, the industry tries to convince you that you can get these great returns. A lot of times you'll see... Uh, um, annuities or insurance things set up where they'll say, you know, if you get 12% a year compounded for 20, yeah, go out and try and find 12% every year for 20 years. You're not going to find it. So 10% is a really generous return. But even if you get that on $1,000, you're making 100 bucks. okay? You didn't get that 10% willy-nilly, right? You had to study. You had to find the right stocks. You had to take the risk. You had to wait 12 months to make it happen. All those things. And you only made $100. Break that, put the Consider the time and effort it took you to make that 100 bucks. Maybe you should have got a second job. Maybe you should have worked some overtime. Maybe you should have studied something so you can get a better job or whatever, right? <coughs> Brown nose to your boss and get a promotion. Whatever you have to do, it's easy. There are easier ways to make 100 bucks. Okay, that's what I want to stress. That's why not everybody's an investor because if all you have is $1,000, you're not an investor, right? You're a saver. What you want to focus on is it, it's really, it's all about net worth. Okay, you want to look at the end of the day, at the end of the year, you have so many resources. You have your labor, you have your time, you have all those things, you have your money. You want to put those things to work the most so that at the end of the year that you've used them the most efficiently and that your wealth has grown the biggest. So is your wealth, if you only have $1,000, is your wealth going to grow more if you're trying to invest it? Or is your wealth going to grow more if you get a better job you know, build a better widget, whatever it is, make more money and then save that money, right? So it's the point I want to make here is you're going to make more in your net worth by saving than you are by investing in the early days, okay? And that's the balance you're looking for. So focus on what you have control over. You have control over how much money you spend, right? You can save a hundred bucks. Can everybody save a hundred bucks, right? If you put your mind to it and you had 12 months to do it, you could figure out a way to save a hundred bucks. Whatever, right? Or just don't spend it. Don't, don't drink that extra cup of coffee or have that extra Coke or whatever. Don't eat that Whopper. You can save 100 bucks. You can control that. You can't control making $100 in the stock market. You may get lucky. You may be good, whatever, but you can't control it. Focus on what you can control, okay? Jack talks about, um, I talk about sphere of influence. I think Jack calls it something slightly different than that, but that's what we're talking about. Imagine the things you can control work on those things. So, again, we're, you know, get, get a better job, 
work some overtime, do that kind of stuff, have a garage sale. So how much do you need to invest? Again, I can't, how much do you need to be an investor? Again, I can't specifically tell you that number, but I'll give you some thoughts that I have, and I, I've thought about this a lot over the years. If you have a $50,000 income, yesterday I told you you should be saving between 10 and 20%, right, to, to get ahead. So that means $50,000 income, you need to be putting away five to $10,000, depending upon how much you want to save, at least that much, okay? That's a given. Now, if you had $50,000 in savings, and you got a 10% return on that, like I had in the previous example when it was only $1,000, well, now you're making $5,000. Okay, now, again, $5,000 doesn't make you rich, but $5,000 is, is comparable to what you would be saving from your $50,000 a year income. Okay, does that make sense? So you're putting, you can control this one up here. You're putting that five dollars to $10,000 away because that's 10 to 20% of your income. When you get to the point when you have $50,000 in savings, if you can get a six, seven, eight, nine, 10% return on it, whatever it is, you're starting to put away something comparable to, your, to, your, to what you're saving from your income, okay? But really it's more, right? This is even double. If you're saving 20%, you're more than doubling that. And again, you have no control over this. You can't guarantee you're gonna get a 10% return. Right now, if you're in the stock market, you lost about 7% year to date. You can control how much you save. Focus on your sphere of influence. Focus on the things you can control. And again, at the end of the day, how's your net worth going to grow faster? Because that's the point of building wealth. It's just mathematics. The more money you have at the end of the year, the more your net worth grew. Is your net worth going to grow from saving $5,000 to $10,000? Or is it going to grow by just trying to invest a small amount of money that you don't have that guaranteed return on? So, you know, am I saying don't, don't invest till you have $50,000? That's not what I'm saying. Do the math for yourself. Figure out what it is. Put the efforts where you have the control, not on the luck of the market. The other thing is, too, as is, is this number grows, if you have $1,000, you'll go out and make a stupid investment. Because, you know, $1,000, you don't really think about it too much. You, you, you can come up with that money. If you've taken 5, 10, 15 years to save $50,000, you've thought about that money a long time. You've made sacrifices to build that savings up. You're not going to go out willy-nilly with, like, Las Vegas money and blow that. You'll, you'll be more likely to make a stupid investment on $1,000 than you will on $50,000 if you worked and saved for that. Now, if you inherit it, if you win it in the lottery or something, yeah, you'll blow it. But if you've worked for it and it took you a long time to get it, you'll appreciate it more. Okay, Let's shift gears a little bit. Wealth, wealth is not money. And again, the, the title of this session is Making the Most of a Worthless Currency. This is for the preppers out here. I want to talk about this. We know that inflation is designed to make our money worthless, right? Worth less, right? We know that. Over the last, since, since 1913, Jack, how much has our money depreciated, devaluated? As of this year, 98%. 98%, right? 98%. We know it. We know it's going to appreciate next year. We know it's going to appreciate the year after that. Right now, and maybe for a while, we're going to be in a period of some deflation. But bottom line is the long-term plan is your money is worth less, all right? Not worthless, but worth less. There's a, there's a difference there, and I want to point that out. So our wealth is not measured in dollars, okay? You may say, hey, I have $2 million net worth or whatever. You do that because that's how we measure it. But your wealth, if you have $2 million, your wealth is not in $2 million federal notes. 
Your wealth is in real estate. Your wealth is in shares of Apple stock. Your wealth is in the small business that you own, right? Your wealth is maybe in the loans that you've made out to other small businesses in your area that you uh, have a piece of their business or you're, you're getting a return from them for, for loaning them the money. That's your wealth. The, the money degrades. The wealth doesn't. As, as inflation occurs, and we know it will, your real estate will appreciate. Shares of Apple stock will appreciate. Those things, uh, op- you know, things that grow and things that produce over time keep up or exceed inflation. So don't think of your wealth in terms of dollars. Wealth is your assets. And that's why we're going to talk about how to get appreciating assets. Money is used for transactions, right? In the old days, they, they bartered. You know, we used Spanish silver, those kind of things. Now we use Federal Reserve notes. Use money for what it's intended for. Your, your employer pays you a paycheck. Take it out, buy the necessary things you need with it. Pay your rent, pay your bills. That part you're saving, you're going to not put that in money. You're going to put that in assets. But that's when you become a saver. Or excuse me, that's when you become an investor. Again, we'll talk a little bit about that. Your money, your day, the reason you have money and the reason it doesn't pay interest is because it's, it's 100% liquid. You can take a $20 bill or a $100 American bill virtually anywhere in the world and get a product or service for that $100 bill. Even though it's fiat, even though it has maybe no meaning, it is valued throughout the world. And it's going to be less next year, but today when your boss pays it to you in your paycheck, you can use it. So use it for transactions, the savings that you're going to put your money in. And you're going to say, but John, you told me to save $50,000. That money's going to be devaluating for the 10 years that it takes me to build that up. That's true. Okay, that is true. But the fact that it is in, in these Federal Reserve notes, they are safe, right? Your emergency fund, you don't want your emergency fund in something that you, you can't, that's not liquid, that you can't get out of right away. You're, you're, it's better off to lose a little bit through inflation than it is to have, you know, ha- have to sell real estate to get the money that you need to pay for the transmission that blew out in your car. Okay, you, you want this money to be readily available. You pay a fee for that, right? It's like you go to an ATM machine. It's not your bank. They charge you two bucks or whatever to take out money. You did that because you needed the money. You're going to pay for that. You, you pay it in terms of devaluating your money through, through, uh, through inflation. Here's what you need to think about, particularly in the environment we're in today. And this changes, right? If we were in the 1970s or different times, we'd, we'd maybe be saying things differently. But today, we are in a low inflation rate, even though they, we know they fudge the numbers. But still, we're still in fairly, uh, fairly historically low inflation rate. Somewhere less than 2%, the official number. We won't debate that, but we know it's not 100%. Well, we know we're not in hyperinflation. The stock market... On any given week, I guarantee you, from peak to trough, will fluctuate more than 2%. Yesterday, the day alone, it fluctuated more than 2% in one day from peak to trough. So, remember, you're thinking about wealth. You're thinking about over the long term, at the end of the year, do I have more money now than I did before? Would you rather lose 2% to inflation, or would you rather lose 2% a week to value, you know, variations in the stock market? It may go up, but it could also go down. The reason you stay in cash, in the, even though your money is becoming worth less, is you at least know it's only going to become 2% less, not, as we are year-to-date, 7 or 8% less if you were invested in the stock market. So keep that in mind. Your money is not worthless. It's just worth less.
You're saving your money, the money you're getting from your paycheck that you're using to pay your bills and things, that's for short and near-term expenses. Okay, we talked about this, Money's, money is not, uh, not worthless, it's just worth less. The reserve for your wealth is the assets, appreciating assets. You're not keeping your wealth in dollars, you're keeping your wealth in appreciating assets. Think of this too in terms of, for those of you that are really worried about that 2% you're gonna lose to inflation. Every time you make a transaction in America, probably around the world, but in America for sure, if you're not getting a cash discount, what are you losing on that? 3%, right? Your retailers are paying about 3% because they know that most people use credit cards or that's just the way it is. So unless you're specifically getting, and in the old days, you used to get cash transaction or you used to get cash discounts. I don't see too much. Big purchases, you'll do that now, but even in gasoline years ago. You can remember, you go to the gas pump, if you paid with cash, it was you know, $1.98. If you pay with a credit card, it was like $2.03. They still have a gas station around. Some of them still do, right? But it's rare. So the reason it's rare is, is they got to the point where they just know, they either know everybody's going to use a credit card or they know they, they can pay you that, they can charge you that extra 3% whether you use the credit card or not. And you'll pay it. So every time you make a transaction, if you're not getting a cash discount, you're losing 3% because that 3% is built into the cost of that product you're buying. Okay, so just, just think about that. You're, you're, everybody's taking that money away from you one way or the other, right? So the 2% that the federal government's stealing from you in the big picture isn't as bad as it looks. Well, and the other thing is, so you're doing a fixed savings rate per annual. So you're saving 10% of your money. If you're busting your ass in these early years, which you should be, and increasing your income by more than the 2%, it's self-adjusting against the inflation rate by your increase in savings commensurate against the percentage against your income, if that makes sense. Yeah? Yeah, that, that, and, that's, and that's the point, right? You're, 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 you're doing that stuff early on to build the money, to overcome those hurdles. That's how you build the wealth. And then the money works for you, and then you're doubling it, okay? So let's go to this concept. For those of you that still are concerned about inflation, and I know you are because I, I get right, I get the questions, I get the emails. Again, don't do things. Do things that are in your sphere of influence. If you have enough money that you want to you know, take that, you're concerned about it, there are now exchange-traded funds, different things like that, different vehicles that you can use to invest in like hard currencies, okay? You can invest in gold or silver or oil or agricultural commodities or general commodities. I have a couple of the... Uh, GLD is, a, is an ETF for gold. Now, again, this is not your assurance gold. This is not the gold that Jack talks about that you, you have for a specific reason. That's, like I talked about life insurance. That's your term life insurance stuff. That's your preps. You do all that first. This is the extra money you have. If you have that extra $10,000 and you're real paranoid about inflation, well, there's, there are things that you can buy very inexpensively, very inexpensive transaction costs, uh, that'll allow you to build your own basket of, of real assets, okay? And like I said, just have a couple of them here, gold, oil, um, you know, they're real estate uh, uh, funds. They're just, they're, we live, as I mentioned before, we live in great times. You know, this is stuff you couldn't do 20 years ago. We live in times when the opportunities are just abundant, okay? Um, by the way, I see a picture taken back there. You know what, I, I emailed this out on the list the link to this and the presentation I did yesterday. So all these slides are available to you on the email list. Click that, you can download the PDF file. So, but feel free to take pictures if you want. Um, but here's what I wanna point out to you here. Just because you can do this, should you do this, okay? 
and especially if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Right? Yeah. I do that, and I try and tell people that nicely when they email me and they and I, you know, they tell me they're shorting oil or they're doing something, and they're asking me like a really dumb question. I'm like, if you have to ask me that question, you shouldn't be doing it. I try and say it in a nice way. Sometimes maybe it's not so nice, but I, I want to get the point across. I would rather be rude to someone than have them lose, you know, twenty thousand dollars because they just did something stupid. And you will lose, and we're going to talk about that. This is a chart of gold, okay? This is uh, 10 years, 10, 11 years. And you, many of you know this. You've lived this. If you go back even further to the left here, gold really has been on an upward trend since 2000. It, it, 1999, 2000, I don't know, ounce of gold was like $235 an ounce. Right? It was dirt cheap. It was way too cheap. And that's what I want to point out here. It's a pendulum. You have, you have a set price for an asset, but it's never exactly... In the market, it's never exactly that set price. Sometimes pendulum swings to over where it's um, overpriced. Sometimes the pendulum swings to it's underpriced. It's just a fact of life. And that's what you see through these charts. We, don't, we can't always pinpoint exactly what something is. What's, what, you, you, can, you can know what the intrinsic value is, but that doesn't mean that that's what you'll pay for it. Okay? When I go to Costco and I buy a hot dog and a, and a Coke for $1.75, Right? Hot dog and a Coke, right? If I go to a football game, I pay $17 for that same hot dog and Coke, right? If I don't, if I don't want to pay $17, I don't get the hot dog and Coke. It's the same value as what I got at Costco, though, for like $1.75. Things, things fluctuate, right? And, it, and it, has, it has to do with human nature, not with balance sheets. That's why I say you don't see a lot of rich CPAs. Because it's not, it's not just about balance sheets. It's about human nature and understanding the psychology of the stock market. But this is gold, okay? So for those of you that are paranoid about devaluation of the currency and things, you can really argue that a lot happened in these 10 years. But the inflation, we never did hit hyperinflation, okay? So things, things got overbought. But when was, the, when was the time to own gold? What, should you have just bought and hold? And again, we're not talking your insurance. We're not talking your life insurance. We're not talking food, food and water storage. We're talking that extra money that you're trying to invest, that money that you want to put to work for yourself. When, when was a good time to buy gold? Ten years ago. Yeah, right? This, when it was going up, when it was appreciating. It was a lousy time to buy gold here. And the gold was just as valuable here as it was here in terms of the value of gold. They weren't making any more of it. All that kind of stuff is true, but the market price was just set that way, right? Because it, it has to do with supply and demand and things, but it's still, things get overbought and oversold. So, so there is a time to own gold in exchange-traded funds, but maybe not today, okay? Let's look at general commodities. Now, I could put up agricultural commodities. I could put up copper. I could put up a lot of things. They pretty much follow the same pattern, again, over the last 10 years. Things skyrocketed in 2008 because people were worried about the financial system collapsing. And what do you want to own? If dollars are worthless, what do you want to own? Copper, right, uh, wheat, anything that can be stored, real estate. The things that, ha that can be stored are valuable because you know that the currency will eventually be readjusted and you'll get, you'll get whatever that new, new currency is back when you sell your real asset. So 2008 was a great time to own commodities, copper, gold, any of that stuff. But when the world didn't come to an end, people came out of it, right? Greed, fear. Greed, fear. It's just what, this is the way it is. 
2011, what happened? Well, when we came out, when the world didn't collapse, we went into quantitative easing. And people were worried about hyperinflation. That's why gold spiked so much in 2011. Again, it was a great time to own commodities from like 2010 to 2011. But Can I say something about that real quick? Sure. Okay, this is what's called fool's rush in. Okay? This was actually a terrible time to own this. Yeah, yeah. This the, was about to happen. This, where you the, this was a time it. to own it back here before it went well, up. The people that trade in volumes you can't even conceive of went in here. And when everybody got afraid, they rushed in because we want to own commodities and assets during a depression. Do you really want to own commodities and assets of this type during a depression or a recession? Do you really want to own copper when nobody's building buildings and putting wire in it? Do you really want to be in the concrete industry when nobody's putting roads and streets in? Do you really want to be in the steel industry when nobody's building cars? So the fools rush in. All these clowns here take their profits. And when the recession actually, so this is, this is, we know the recession's here, but it's not really hit us yet. When everybody gets laid off and all the construction jobs go to shit, this is where you are down here. And when you finally say, I got to take what I can get and get out of this and go back into something like stocks and equities, and you bail out, you go here, they buy back in, and the fools rush in again, and boom. Yeah, and you can't and see it. it happens over and over You can't again. see it back there, but in the bottom here is the volume. Yeah. So back here, when you, should, when you should have been owning it, no one was buying it. When you should have been selling it, everybody was buying it, right? And it's the same here. You see the volume difference? And now we are here. Volume is really, really small again. It's getting time to buy that stuff again. Not yet. Don't rush out and buy it yet. Because back here, people were saying it couldn't get any lower, right? It couldn't get any lower. Could, well, it's gotten a lot lower. It's crazy low. It's, it's, it's inconceivable low. But that doesn't mean it won't keep going lower, okay? Because there's no, there, there isn't a rational market here. Things can go lower. I just want you to see that, though, and see the overall trend. The important thing to remember is um, whether, it, you know, these different spikes and things, the bottom line is if you don't know what you're doing, don't do this. Because you will lose vast sums of money, probably more than you'll make, okay? Number one. Number two is what's the trend? What's the overall trend? It's down, right? Even though there's been spikes up, the overall trend is down. Even from, I don't have not on this one. I'm, 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 I'm getting to that. Okay. We're getting to that. So, Jack's taking this class, but Jack's way ahead of us. We're going to get to moving averages. Even if you go back pre-recession, look here. Look here. We're lower. We are lower today than we were before things fell apart 15 years ago. Okay, so a lot of these commodities are the lowest they've been in you know, 15 to 30 years. Okay, so the overall trend is down. Do you want to own assets that are appreciating or depreciating? You want to own assets that are appreciating. So even if you can get a spike in them somewhere, you don't want to own it if the overall trend's down because it's likely to go down. So appreciating assets. Again, that's the theme of this section of the, of the presentation. That's what I want you to focus on. You want to own things that appreciate in value. I'm talking about stocks. I'm a stock guy. That's what I know. That's what I understand. That's what's easiest to show you because I can do it in charts. But it works on everything. It works on your property of your home. It works on you know, things you own and buy. That's why cars are a lousy investment because they don't appreciate, right? They depreciate. Yeah, if it's a 1965 Mustang or something, that'll appreciate. But if it's a you know, 2015 Chevy, it's depreciating. You want to focus on appreciating assets. We're going to look at that in terms of stocks, but it applies to everything. I tell you, I, I tell you, real estate stocks and your spouse, right? You want to own a spouse that gets better, 
right? You don't want to own a spouse that gets worse over the years. Think about that, okay? I don't buy and hold. You'll hear almost 90% of people in the industry tell you to buy and hold. I think it's BS. The only thing I hold is my wife, right? That's the only thing I've held over the years. Everything else I buy and I sell. I keep my wife because she's an appreciating asset, okay? I also don't believe in asset, we're gonna talk about why I don't buy and hold. I also don't believe in asset allocation. Right now, for those of you that, that have a, you know, an advisor and he's putting all this diversified stuff, you're in international funds, emerging markets, uh, small caps, large caps, growth, balance, bonds, what, look at your portfolio and it's all, probably all those are down. Year to date, they're probably all down. And that's the same thing that happened early on in 2008. When you get a bad problem in the market, everything correlates to zero or to one, and they all go down together. Now, uh, things will rise out, even gold. Look at, look at gold in the summer, fall of 2008. It was going down. It was, again, because people didn't have money. People were worried about stuff. They were pulling it out of everything. Once things started to stabilize, gold took off, and that was a great time to buy it. But you took a hit if you rushed in too soon in 2008. So focus, focus on not worrying about correlating assets or buying and holding things. Focus on buying assets that appreciate. And we just saw a couple charts there with, with, um, with gold and with commodities. Sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. The point is, is to try and buy them when they're going up. And you, you don't know that, right? We can't predict the future. We're going to talk about that. But you can at least have some clues. The bottom line in all this is that things that go in trends, right? Sometimes they're overvalued, sometimes they're undervalued. Jack talks a lot about situational awareness, pattern recognition. You go out and you do a sector analysis. You go out in your backyard, you stay there for a year. You look at the way the sun comes up, the shadows, the way the buildings are. You understand your terrain. After you've understood those things, you have that awareness, you've recognized those patterns, then you start to put in trees and plants and dig swales. Same thing with the stock market, same thing with your small business, same thing with the neighborhood you decide to move into. You need to look at those things and, and look for the patterns, look for the, what's going to make it appreciate. So how do, you, how do you recognize appreciation? This is the easiest way, Jack just mentioned moving averages, that's what we're going to talk about. The easiest way to know if something is appreciating is to ask yourself, is it worth more today than it was in the past? Now we don't know about the future, we can't predict tomorrow. But we know what something's worth today because there's a price on it, whether it's the, your real estate on your house or whether it's, you know, Apple stock. And you can also go back and look up historically what it was. So look in the past, look what you have now. Is it appreciating or depreciating? A moving average is something that's, that's just what it implies. I'm showing an example here of, you know, the, the one price plus the second price plus the third price out to five prices, you divide it by five, that's a five period moving average. That could be five days in terms of stocks, it could be five years in terms of your home. If you took the average selling price for houses in your neighborhood over the last five years, you know, took each year's price, divided it by five, that would give you a five year average for your home. And then every year you do that and you plot it out, you'll get a five year moving average for the for the price of real estate in your neighborhood. You can look at that and see is it trending up? Are you in a good neighborhood? Or is it trending down? Are you in a bad neighborhood? How is your house doing? Is your house maintaining its value? Or is the overall value of the neighborhood going up and your value of your home is going down? Those are the ways you can compare it. So it works on real estate, it works on stocks. The time frame is what's important. And that's why I have up here like P1, P2, it's the period. 
on real estate, something that doesn't change prices a lot, you're going to look at a long time frame, right? If you're looking at GoPro stock, what kind of time frame are you going to look there? Maybe like minutes or days. Really short because GoPro stock is very volatile. So depending upon the vol- volatility of the market, you're, you know, if it's, if it's a very stable market, you're probably going to look at long time frames. If it's a very uh, short time frame like a stock, you're going to tighten that down. So back to oil. Remember we looked at oil and we saw the different trends. So the blue is the price of oil, the closing price for that day on oil. This is over a... Um, I don't have my, I don't have my uh, scale up here. This is over, I think, three months. This is, over, this is over a year. Yeah, 10 day on the, on the moving average. This, this chart, though, is like January, I think. I think this is January, and then this is today. Okay, so it's year-to-date chart. The blue chart is the actual price for each day. The red chart is that moving average. It's a 10, I'm using a 10-day in this case. So right here, that, that red line right there was calculated by taking the previous 10-day prices, adding them up, dividing by 10, and you put a dot there. You do it over and over again, and it constructs that line. The, when I started doing this stuff in 1984, guess what, man? You had to use a calculator and a pencil and the closing prices in the Sunday paper, and you drew it out on graph paper. Today, you have... I'm using charts from Yahoo to show you how easy it is. You can do it in Yahoo, you can do it in Google Finance, you can do it on MSNBC. I mean, whatever website you like to go to, chances are you can draw these out for free. You can set it up so once a day, once a week, once a year, whatever, you can look at it and know whether you're appreciating or depreciating. But this chart is very easily to, to print out. And you can see with the price of oil, it was consolidating, kind of vacillating up and down on that 10 day moving average until about June of this year. Now the oil had, had bottomed out. Oil had peaked a long time ago, then it had bottomed out, and then this was like what we'd call the sucker's rally. This was people saying, can't get any lower, price of oil's going up, and so it was coming back up. And if you follow that 10-day line though, you can see that it isn't, the price of oil wasn't going up. The price of oil was flat, right? It's many, many months it was going flat. And I always tell you, with a stock or with anything, it can only do one of three things. It's either gonna go up, it's going to go down or it's going to stay the same. Now, it rarely stays the same. It's always fluctuating up and down. Fear and greed, right? Greed that goes up, everybody wants to get rich. Oh, they get scared, they come out. Fear, it falls apart. So it's always going up and down. So when it goes flat for a long time, you know that it's either going to break out or break up. So it's kind of taking your odds down to a 50-50 at that point. Well, when gold or when, when oil, I may be saying gold, I'm talking oil. When oil did fall apart, what did it do? It broke that moving average. And so right here, you can see back, if you can see back again, look at, you have a copy of these charts, you can look at them. When it broke that 10-day moving average, you can ask yourself, you know, was, was oil worth more that day than it had been in the previous days? And any time that blue line is below the red line, it's less more than it had been over the past 10 days, okay? This is a very short term, but it, it applies. Once gold broke below that line and it tried to recover, you can see it almost exactly hit that 10-day line and fell apart. Tried to get back up, fell apart. Tried to get back up, on and on. This is called resistance, okay? It can't get above. It's like the ceiling. If you throw a ball at the ceiling, you keep hitting the, hitting the ceiling. If you throw a ball up in the air, it keeps hitting the ceiling. You gotta throw it really hard to break through the roof, right? It keeps trying to go up, but it can't. Again, it, it just, literally bounced off of that line. There's no magic here. People will try and sell you trading programs. They'll talk about Elliott Wave Theory and Fibonacci retracement. It's all what marketing is. That what uh, 
Paul Wheaton says, it's all marketing. It's all BS, right? These things happen. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. It's not worth spending $3,000 for someone to try and sell you some software that's gonna figure this out. You can draw a simple moving average. You can watch oil fall all the way apart. And what happened? Once it finally broke through that ceiling, the price went up, right? And it shot up high, and now it's consolidating again for a number of months. And so eventually it's either gonna break out or break down again. I personally think it's gonna break down, but I don't know, I can't tell the future. But you, you can see how that works. If you stayed out of oil, as long as it was below that 10-day line, you wouldn't have lost money because it was keep, everybody can't go lower, can't go lower, can't go any lower. Oh, they're cutting down rigs, it can't go any lower. It went low, 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 right? Oil was down over 50% from where it was a year ago. It can go lower. And, and we're talking about oil, it could be gold. This could be Apple stock. This could be the S&P 500. They all go through these trends. This is the S&P 500. So let's look at this. Right now, this is a um, three months, I believe. So this is going back to earlier this summer. The market had been going up on a top. It reached a peak. The highest it's been in six and a half years, the third longest rally in history. Uh, all, all kinds of problems going down. And when it finally, I'm right here I'm showing is the 100-day line, okay? Before it was a 10-day line, this is a 100-day moving average, okay? When it broke that 100-day and it broke it hard, what happened? It just totally fell apart. So when, when your price was above the average, it's appreciating. When your price is below the average, it's depreciating. You want to own appreciating assets you don't want to own depreciating assets. Okay, it's, it's complicated, but it's also very simple. Question. Well, it says 100 day moving average, and you're saying that's over a three month time? I'm sorry, the, 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 and actually I look at this, this is actually over a year. This is, this is last October, October 2014, when the markets fell apart. This is how they recovered since then. So the time frame on the horizontal is a year. The red line is tracked over 100 days, and that's 100 trading days. So it really works out to 20 weeks, five days a week, the market trades. So you're looking at a six-month period. And why did I use 10 days for oil and I'm using 100 days for the S&P 500? Well, oil is very volatile, right? It's moving up and down. The S&P 500 is split out over 500 stocks. It's, it's generally not as volatile as oil. So we're looking at a longer time period. It smooths out all the noise and the static. Again, if you were looking at this for real estate, you'd be using like maybe a, uh, a five-year moving average as opposed to 100 days. But what I just want to point out is look at that. You, you don't need millions of dollars of software to figure this out. In fact, many websites will just show you the 50, the 100, or the 200-day moving average. Just, you don't even have to ask it to do it. Just, it just shows it to you. It's because it's that important. The, the thing to remember here is that you may not have been smart enough to see this coming. Okay? Even though there was a lot of warning signs, right? Because if you go prior to this date, it wasn't hitting this support. This is, resistance was when it couldn't get above it. Support is when it doesn't go below it. So it's getting a lot of support here. Okay? It keeps bouncing up. But that was unusual. It hadn't even hit support before. It was way above it. So you could, you could have known, hey, we're at all-time highs. Market's been going on for six and a half years like this. It can't last forever. Maybe you got out. Even if you didn't, though, again, you didn't have to be Einstein to wait to get out here, right? You could have gotten out anywhere here, and this is over several days, right? You could have gotten out anywhere here and avoided all this pain. And again, what are we seeing? The market's consolidating again, okay? So again, is it gonna go up or go down? I don't know, but it's consolidating. I personally think it's gonna go down. 
because of the overall trend. The overall trend is now down. The market's rolled over. It's gone up to a peak after six and a half years and it's going to roll over. But we don't know. I can't predict the future. I can just look at these charts. I can look at what happened in the past and I can say, my money's worth more today than it was yesterday, but I'm getting a little nervous. I'm going to take my profits. I'm going to sell out. I'm going to just keep my money in cash for a while as opposed to riding this out and losing seven, eight, ten. This, you know, this, this was a 10% drop. And if at the bottom of that day, there was a 20 minute period when you could have lost 20% of your money in a 20 minute period because the bottom, the flash crash, the bottom fell out. This is what you want to avoid. I personally got out in like March or April. I, I was. I'm watching them, but I but I got out. So like maybe around here, I was worried that it was doing this, and I don't can't predict the future. And I'm concerned it's going to go down. So I just sold. I said, you know what? I'll take my chances of not making this extra money because I've already made money over here, right? I made money as it came up. I'm not going to be greedy because the market's fear and greed. If I'm not greedy, if I get out when I'm safe and I'm not greedy then guess what? I don't have fear because now, right, I'm buying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to buy down here. So I, what you want to avoid is that fear-greed cycle. You want to be reasonable. Take your profits. When everybody else is greedy, that's the time for you to just be calm. When everybody else is fearful, that's the time for you to buy. So, so I, when it, yeah, when it did this, I was out. I just, I don't want to take the chance. The, the day traders will try and trade these, I mean, that's like, you know, that's Vegas money. You just, you just can't, you don't know, because none of us can tell the future. So what I just showed you, and I know this is really hard to see, but what I just showed you with that 100-day uh, moving average, this is the same kind of chart, but over a longer period of time. Instead of just looking out over a year, we're going back all the way to 1998. The reason I did that is because I want you to see all these, um, all these bubbles that we've had. And this, this, again, if you look on the chart, this will tell you it's a 20-week moving average but there's five days in a trading week. So what it is, it's a 100-day moving. It's, it's similar to a 100-day moving average. The software I had, it was just easier to print out with a 20-week moving average as opposed to 20-day. Only to clarify a point, each one of these points on this chart is a weekly price. It's the close on Friday. So that's why it's a weekly average. The other charts I've been showing you up to this point, it was a closing daily price. Not a huge difference, but if you're a stickler for details, it, there is a difference, okay? So 20-week average, similar to 100-day average. If you had gotten out when you saw that it had clearly broken that 100-day moving average, right? And you, you could have set that however you wanted to. If it drops more than 2% below the 100-day moving average, or if it breaks the 100-day moving average, or if it's 3% below, whatever it is, you could come up with that on your own. But any time that it clearly was below that 100-day moving average, it kept going lower, right? And it fell apart. Had you gotten out early in the dot-com bubble based on this, and again, it's hard for you to see back there, but in the early 1998 time period, the, the averages were well above that 100-day moving average, way above, right? Way, so you're very safe when it's like that. But when it starts flirting with the 100-day moving average, had you sold, yeah, again, you would have missed the peak, but you would have been out in time to get in on any of that downturn. And speaking of the downturn, you're never going to be smart enough to buy at the bottom. Okay, first time I was on Jack's show a couple years ago, we did a podcast about this. And um, I, I forget what episode. Like, I used to remember it was like episode 1141 or something because everybody asked me about it. But somebody in the comments section wrote, you know, oh, yeah, that guy's a real genius. You know, sell at the top and buy at the bottom. Who can do that? Well, 
that wasn't what I was claiming, and I'd never claim that. You're never going to be Einstein. Warren Buffett can't sell at the top and buy at the bottom. No one can, okay? But what you can do is, if you get out sometime on either end of the top, right, and you avoid the bottom, remember what Jack has taught you. When something comes down, if, if this was at $100 and it comes down 50%, it goes down to $50. But when you buy it back at 50, it goes up 100% to get back to where it was, right? Comes down 50, goes up 100. Since you know that concept, you don't have to perfectly pick the bottom because you're not trying to get a 100% return. If you can get an 80% return or a 70% return or a 30% return, that's huge, right? If you make a 30% return over a six-month period, you can stay out of the market for the next three years and be average, right? You can just say, I'm taking my profits. I don't care. I'm sitting this out. I made 30% over three years. That's going to average out to 10% a year. That's better than a market average. That's how you make money. This is how I build my wealth. When I told you before about when I started investing, 1990, this is 1998, so I started investing in 84, but I didn't have a lot of money, right? I was the guy who had the $2,000 looking for the good BMW, okay? I, those first 10 years, I learned the school of hard knocks, everything I'm teaching you. So by 1996, I started to have you know, a little bit of money at least, that $50,000 number I'm telling you about, and I could put that in the market. From here to here, I made a million dollars in that period, right? And there was ups and downs, right? I was never smart enough to catch these. Never, never caught them. I'm a contrarian. When everybody else is buying dot-coms, I was buying restaurants, which was actually stupid too, but I didn't know any better. But I, I just was a contrarian by nature. Somewhere in here, I figured out being a contrarian, you know, salmon get all beat up when they swim upstream for a reason, right? I was like, why am I getting beat up? I don't want to be a contrarian. You have to go with the flow. You just need to know, right, when to pull off the exit and let everybody else get stuck in traffic. So I learned that, and what, so I was not able to always catch, uh, never caught these all the way up, but what I did was I was smart enough to buy them around here. And so because I didn't lose half of my money going down, and like I told you yesterday, I think I told, I told some of the small groups, I don't know if I said it in here, when a trend occurs, by definition, more than half the stocks have to follow the trend, okay? And, more, and what really happens is over 70% of stocks follow the trend. So if the trend is down, and the trend is clearly down when it's below that, that in this case, the 100-day moving average, when the trend is down, more than 70% of stocks are going down. Apple's going down. Well, they didn't exist back then. Back then, it was Microsoft was going down. Pets.com was going down, the bad stock. But the good stocks and the bad stocks all went down. That's why buy and hold doesn't work, because the good stuff will go down with the bad stuff. It's like the tide. Tide's going to raise and lower all the boats. Likewise, though, when it goes up, bad stocks go up too. So if you're, if you're trying to buy your stocks in here rather than in here, even if you're buying some dogs, which you are, you're going to buy some bad ones, they're still more likely to go up than they are down because the overall trend is up. So you don't have to be Einstein to get in and out of this stuff. 50% down, 100% up. If you can avoid most of this, no matter where you get in here, you're going to make money. Okay? So that's, that's the key concept. Assets are appreciating. Assets are depreciating. Same way with your house, right? The real, this happens to be the housing bubble. It affected the stock market. But same thing. In 2000, I know in the neighborhood I lived in in Georgia at the time, house prices were going up like crazy. People, all my neighbors were buying houses. They had no money down, took a second mortgage to cover the money they didn't have down in the first, and so they're underwater in their houses. 
Uh, a lot of them were first-time home buyers that never even owned a home before. It was like, you know, it's cheaper to rent. It's cheaper to own than it is to rent and blah, blah, blah. And you see the house prices going up. But at the same time, you're saying, well, these people are knuckleheads. There's no way they're going to be able to keep these houses. And what happened? Well, it fell apart. So you could see the trend going up in real estate. You could have invested in it. But the point was you had to get out sometime before the top because it was going to collapse. So if you follow this trend line, though, you would have avoided all the bubbles in the last 15 years. And then I can't predict the future, but what does that look like to you? Does that look like a bubble? We look like we've, we've come up to another bubble. It's insane. It's, this is quantitative easing right there. Quantitative easing one started right there. We've had three rounds of quantitative easing. We're getting ready to start the fourth. Okay, so same thing. Now let's tighten it up. We're still looking at the S&P 500. I'm looking at it on a 10-day moving average like I looked at the oil. This is a really tight snapshot. Again, going over maybe a three or four-month period on the bottom here, but the red line is the price over the last 10 days averaged out. You can see that chart. I just want to... The, the bigger chart was, uh, you know, looking at a 30,000-foot level. This is down on the ground floor now, right? You can't see the forest for the trees, but you can see everything real tight at this level. What's it doing? 10 days. It's staying with that 10-day line, just like we saw oil doing. When it broke that 10-day moving average, though, it broke it hard and it fell apart. And again, we're consolidating on that 10-day, so it's going to go up, it's going to go down. But no matter what, even with the, the nice run-up it had uh, at points this week, we're still below that 10-day moving average, and the overall trend, is it up or down? It's down, right? right? Now, we can't predict the future. We have No one can tell you what's happening out there, right? No one. But we can look at that, and we can use our situational awareness, right? You, you walk out, at, at a, you're in a, in a strange town, driving your car, you need gasoline, you pull over at the convenience store, you're filling up with gas, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you're looking around, you see some stranger walking towards you and he's kind of got his hand coming out of his pocket like this, right? You don't know if he's going to pull out a gun, you don't know if he's going to come up and ask you for money, you don't know if he's just going to light a cigarette, but you're using your situational awareness, right? You're taking the proper precautions. May, he may try and rob you, he may not, right? The market may be trying to rob us. We don't know, but we want to take the proper precautions. Personally, that's when I go to cash and when I say go to cash, I mean I sell my equity positions. So if I have my money in an IRA or a Roth or 401k, and I'm in the S&P 500 or Google or whatever, when I start seeing this kind of stuff, I sell those, and the money goes into a money market fund. And it sits there. And if I lose 2% a year to inflation, because it sits there for a whole year, I would rather lose 2% to inflation than lose this, right? It's not rocket science. It doesn't work all the time. But it's a logical way to think about it. The same way, you know, at nighttime you're at that gas station, you don't know what this guy's going to do when he comes up to you. You're taking precautions. So, again, no one can predict the future. These 10-day moving averages, 100-day moving averages, they're like guideposts. They can tell you that you've made it to the 15-mile marker on the highway. You know the 16's up ahead, but you don't know between you and that if the road's closed, if there's an accident, if the bridge is out. You don't know any. You don't know if you need to put chains on your car. You don't know any of that stuff. You can just use them to look at the past. And that's all we have, but it's, but it's all we have to use. So use them with, this, with discretion. And the key point is, are you owning appreciating assets? Whether it's your house, right? whether it's your stocks, whether it's your wife, are your assets appreciating? You want to keep your assets to be appreciating. You want to be appreciating. You want to be better at work. You want to learn more. You want to have better skills. You want to be able to 
be a better father, be a better mother. Everything's about appreciation. So focus on being better today than you were yesterday. That applies in all areas of our life. Are we done? We have time? We have time for questions? What, what questions do we have? When it breaks the moving average, is it just as soon as you see it break, or how long do you give it before you determine to sell it off? Yeah, right. So that's, that's where the million dollars is made. That's the difference between billionaires and millionaires and stuff, right? You don't know. Okay, so I, in, in, generally speaking, I just say, hey, when it breaks that average, sell. That's not necessarily always realistic. Generally, you would want to put a cap on it, and it depends where you're at, right? If you just happen to buy a couple weeks before, you're losing money right away, right? If you bought three years before, you made a boatload of money, and if you lose 2 or 3%, you don't care, right? Because, you know, it's 2 or 3%. You made, in, in 2013, the market was up 33%. 2014, the market was up almost right around 10%. This year, it's down 7 Okay, so again, buy and hold. If you bought and hold over these last three years, you're still up. But if you bought two years ago and sold earlier this year, you're up, and the market was up 7%. You're, you're up like 47 50% in three years. That's great. Again, you can take the rest of the year off. So who cares? When it starts breaking that line, sell. Stay out for three years. Who cares? Your, your average is going to be... You're going to be wealthier in three years based on where you are today than if you take the chance. So, so it's hard to say what it is. And again, is it a 100-day moving average? Is it 175? You can play with those. I do that all day long, so that's what I do. You don't have time to do that. Look at the, use the 100-day on the, on, the, on the S&P 500. It's simple. I talk about it on my website. Again, you can go to investors.com is, is my favorite, other than my own website. Investors.com is like my second favorite website. And um, Investors.com is Investors Business Daily. You might have heard. They have really good editorials. You see they, they're pro-guns and stuff. They're, they're kind of like the Wall Street Journal that's pro-gun. Okay? Um, check that site out. They, there's premium stuff you can buy. You don't want to do that. Just stick to the free stuff. There's stuff on there that teach you about these charts. But every chart you click on or every stock you put in there, if you click on the average, it'll show you the 50 and the 200-day moving average. Okay. Now I'm showing you the 100. I think the 100 works best, but they're going to show you for free the 50 and the 200, and you can just guess that right? the 100-day the, the is somewhere in between those two. You can just eyeball it. You can Later on, if you want me to show you, I can show you how to do this in, in Yahoo. You just set it up. It's there. Um, the 50 and the 200, I didn't dwell on those. Those are key levels of support and resistance, though. And had we looked at some of those, or later on, if you want me to show you those, you can see whenever... Um, and to Jack talked, we talked about the dumb money before here right? a few minutes ago, right? The dumb people were buying, were not buying here, the smart people were, and then when it went to the top, the dumb people were buying and the smart people were selling. You can see that on the 50 and the 200-day moving average. Every time the market comes down, people panic, it hits the 50-day moving average, the smart guys buy because stocks are on sale. They buy, the, whatever it is goes away, a bull, a scare, whatever, it goes away, market goes back up. People panic. It drops back down to the 50-day. Those guys buy. It goes back up. On and on. The, pro, the, the, the way we know it is, is when it breaks that 50-day, it's probably headed to the 100. The reason it broke the 50 is because the smart guys weren't buying. So why weren't they buying? Because they're concerned. So it must have been real at that point, right? It wasn't just fear and panic. The smart guys weren't buying. And so when they're not buying, you don't want to buy. We're, we're following... The reason, this, the reason I, I believe that you can time the market, even the average guy, is that we're following people. We're not leaders. We're not, 
we're not Nostradamus saying, oh, I can predict uh, Google stock will be up 10% next year. I have no idea what Google stock's going to do. But I can look at a chart. I can see where the price of Google is. I can see the volume and see who's buying it. And, and from there, I can calculate and say, you know, an elephant walked through the backyard. Well, how do I know? Because I can see his footprints. I can see the footprints of the smart money in these charts. I can see where they've been. I don't know where they're going, but I can see where they've been. So I don't know where the elephant went left or right, but I know he went that way. I, I know not to look over there. And the problem with the buy and hold and the asset allocation is you're looking over there, you're looking over there. The elephant's there. Right? He may go left or right, but he's there. And so you're more likely to get the elephant if you go there than if you go over here. Are you saying when you're seeing the smart guys come in and go out, is that just based on the volume compared to previous? Price and volume, right? You know, the Econ 101, supply and demand. You're, you're looking... And it gets back to the assets. Why, why do the assets appreciate on these 10-day moving averages? Well, if more people are buying them at higher prices, the prices keep going up. Right? What's 22 ammo cost today? What did it cost five years ago? Prices went up because people still want it. Demand is up. And manufacturers are happy to sell it to you for more money. So, so you're, that's how you know where the smart money is going, right? It's because the price and the volume are going up. And that's, again, that's when we look at the stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, that's exactly what I track is. Okay, the price went up. On, on Yesterday, the price went up. It did what we'd call a positive reversal. It looked really good. The bad news is it went up on bad news. Em, employ, unemployment's up. Okay, so let, more people are losing their jobs, so the market went up. Why? Well, because that means the Federal Reserve's going to ease more, and the guys on Wall Street are addicted to cheap money. So bad news is good news. Um, so it did go up, and... It may keep going up next week. We may, be, may have seen a little bit of a bottom here lately, but the, but the point on that is yesterday, even though it was up, it, it was only slightly up in volume above average. It wasn't like a huge spike. It wasn't like millions of people were in there buying. So you got to, when everybody's rushing in to buy, that's, uh, that's probably a good sign that you're getting ready to sell because <laughs> too many people are buying. When, there's no, when the markets get exhausted, it goes to the top and there's no suckers left to buy. The price comes down. When the price comes down so low, it isn't that everybody knows it's low. It's just that there's no suckers left to sell. Everybody's sold. And so that's why it vacillates. It's not, it's not Einstein's. It's just a bunch of dummies, right? I mean, we're, we're all dummies. Everybody, the smart guys as well as us. Yes and no. I mean, the, the price of gold here on an ETF is the price of gold. So that's not going to change. Uh, where it would change is if you're buying the physical metals for your assurance, you may not care if it's an all-time high when you buy it because, like I say with my life insurance, I spent 700 bucks last year. I was happy I didn't die. Right? I mean, I wasn't going to not spend that money because I wasn't planning on dying. I, it, it was a fixed cost. Oh, yeah, so... So on, on gold and that, I, I would look at um, 100 days still a good, a good long, a long-term scale 100 days good for that. Two, 100 to 200 days on currency. If you look at currencies, 200 days seem to fit really well. When the dollar, the dollar hovers around its 200-day moving average, goes up a little, come down a little, up a little. If it ever goes up too high or down too low, that means there's a break in the trend. So two, 100 to 200 days on metals, same with currency. Because really... What's the dollar? The dollar is just a reflection of the currency, of the, uh, the metals, right? They're, they're all the same proxy. Do you have a question? I was wondering if you're uh, if you've ever, when the market's in a downward trend, do you ever short, or do you just wait for it to, to go uh, to the upward? 
Yeah, I, I do. I do short, and I don't short using options because you can lose more than you're investing with an option. But as I mentioned, the ETFs with gold, there are ETFs, ETFs that allow you to short the market or even in some cases short certain sectors. And I do do those. You pay a little bit more in the fee, but it takes the risk out of it. So, for example, SPY is the largest exchange-traded fund. It mimics the S&P 500. Okay, it's highly liquid. If I only had one thing I could buy, that would be what I'd you know, trade in and out of. It's very liquid. It's 500 stocks. You're well diversification. SH is the inverse of that. Okay, now it's not as, not as liquidly traded. It's, it's still trading millions of shares a day, but it's, it's not as common as the other one. And you want common in these kind of things because when you want to sell, you want to be able to get out, right? Uh, but so SPY, if it's going up, and then either sell and go to cash, or if you're more of a risk taker, you can go into SH and try and catch it going down. If I knew with a surety, you know, when you, when you hit some of these long-term trends, this one was a pretty good idea that we were going to go down for a while. We didn't know how down, so it, you could have maybe shorted that. But when you get into some of these other little ones, they're just to me, they're not worth the risk. Again, I'd rather just go to cash and do it that way. Um, it also, I have a podcast, too, that talks about the best trading system, and the best trading system is what works for you. If you're a pessimist and you're really good at seeing stuff falling apart, maybe you're short. Maybe you don't. Maybe you always buy the SH, right? You're always looking for the downtrend. But then you're wise enough to get out on top because all it matters for is you can sell it for, for, for more than you bought it for, right? People make money when it goes down. People make money when it goes up. It's just that most people can't do both. It's kind of our personalities and, and the way, what, what your situational awareness is, right? Some people are better at permaculture situational awareness. Other people are at defensive personal awareness, right? And it's kind of where those skills are. I, was, I would say, too, with oil, I shorted oil back here in April. And a lot of months, it wasn't doing anything. It was kind of, you know, am I right, am I wrong? Am I right, am I wrong? But when it broke out, I rode it all the way down, and I sold the, about the day after it broke that 10-day. John, so. we can do some Q&A. Oh, yeah. Random, but we're yeah, we're just taking questions. Yeah, let's do lunch, guys. So, so that's it. I'm around all, day, all night tonight. Happy to talk to you. Well, hey, there you have it. The event was a lot of fun. Again, I'd really encourage you to get out to a TSP workshop. If you haven't been to one, they're a very eclectic, educational, and fun event. Incidentally, if you have an event and you'd like me to speak at it, get in touch with me. If it's something that I can work into my schedule, if it's not too far away, I'd be happy to attend and provide you with some of my commentary on the stock market and overall comments about general wealth building principles. So until the next episode, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.